Welcome to the Eventful Entrepreneur. My name's Dodge. I've been an entrepreneur for over 30 years and thrown thousands of parties across the UK. And I'm also the owner of the Bournemouth Sevens Festival. Everyone who knows me knows I love people, having a laugh <laughs> and asking lots of questions. So I've been chatting to people with one thing in common. They've all lived eventful lives. This week, I'm delving into the eventful life of Tana Hassan. Tana was thrown into the music spotlight at a very young age, found fame, but also found alcohol and drugs. His life spiraled out of control with his addictions and came very close to ending his own life. Tana has turned his life around now, gone sober, and is now helping others with their addictions too. What a journey he's been on. Please welcome the one and only Mr. Tana Hassan. Tana, welcome to the show, buddy. Thanks for having me, mate. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Lovely to meet you. Yeah, and you. And you. Thanks for making the uh, the effort coming down all the way from Essex. Yeah, it's not too not too bad. It yeah. was supposed to be a two and a half hour journey, ended up being five. Was it? Yeah. Jesus. I was 30 mile an hour on the, <laughs> for the rain, couldn't see, but yeah, yeah. You know, I'm here now, so good, it's good, great. Good. Well, let's, um, let's get cracking. Let's roll all the way back. Where did you grow up and how did it all begin? So I'm a South End boy, born and bred. Um, and uh, yeah, I lived, I lived there, I've lived there all my life. Were you growing up there, what, in the 80s? Yeah, I was born in 81. Yeah. And um, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity there. I think it was definitely one of the best places. You know, it was mm. good schools. There was lots of activity. And, you know, my parents kind of knew, you know, I had all this energy. So they put me in lots of different uh, like programs to do. I was always doing like drama, music, dancing, that kind of stuff. Did that pretty much since I was six. Really? Yeah, yeah, So yeah. was that, so what, where did that, did that take you on a journey? The music? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, um, for me, I, I really wanted to move that career forward, really. You know, I went to drama school, but I was like, they liked you to be for the proper drama school, like, you know, Guildhall or RADA and places like that. You needed to be a little bit older, though. You could take your 18. I went on my 18th birthday, um, actually on my birthday, had the audition, got a recall, but never got in. They said, you know, maybe a year, a year later. But in that time, I was also going to Pineapple Studios a lot, doing a lot of auditions. In the, we used Pineapple to get, Studios? Yeah. What's his name? Uh, was, Louis Spence. Right? Louis Spence. Was That's he it. there, was he? No, I never saw him. No, 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 I, no. I never saw him. But yeah, um, but yeah no, it was, it was a, there was a, mag, a paper called The Stage then. I don't know if it's still yeah, going. Yeah, I remember Stage. Um, yeah. So at the back, there'd be auditions yeah, for like yeah. boy bands and R&B groups and loads of things like that. So I used to just go up there every weekend. Yeah. I did that ever since I was 16, really. I got close quite a few times. It was really quite an exciting ride you know getting the band and then it wouldn't happen and uh be recalled and always get really close so i thought maybe i'm onto something and uh yeah so i just sort of was pursuing that and well i started messing about with bits and pieces which i'm sure we'll get we'll get onto and i think that definitely affected it because when i went i didn't even get a recall the next time what's uh, the recall just say so sorry a recall is like they get you get a second a second go okay so they give so they say you passed the first stage yeah now we're going to shortlist you for the recall and if you pass that you get offered your place yeah into into the into the university and um but in that time um i also really started getting closer with all these auditions and i thought you know what i actually want to be a music you know i want to be a musician i want to be out there yeah so uh, i did a, a show it became a show it was just an audition process right so it was the very first pop stars with Hearsay and Liberty X, that was oh, the right. winners. Pop stars. Yeah, that was a, years yeah, ago. My God, what year was that? The year two thousand before YouTube. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> thank goodness <laughs> thank God, for yeah. that. You know, um, there was yeah. So no, what did you see? Did you see an advert to go 
My mum phoned me up. Yeah. I was working in my dad's shop in the Wimpy. Remember yeah. Wimpy's? Yeah, I mean, so the, what, the old posh burger on a plate. That's it. Come on. Yeah. That's what my dad, <laughs> my mum used to do. So okay. I was working there on a, on a Saturday night. And she rang me up and said, oh, it's the last day tomorrow. I've just seen it on the news. And I was like, all right, I'll go up there. Go where? Where were you? Um, went to LWT Studios in London. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just kept getting past each stage after each stage after each stage. And it was really exciting. But it's so this, was this was this all being filmed on telly as well? Well, it wasn't live. So they yeah. were filming it. Yeah. And that was the weird thing about it because every audition I've ever been to was exactly the same, yeah. except it was in a TV studio and there was cameras everywhere. Um, there was people running around with side cameras for little side interviews yeah. and they were just building content. And it was all very exciting yeah. and no one really knew what was really going on. Yeah. And so it got really, I mean, I was 19 years old yeah. at each stage. And then you'd be looking at all the, the ones that you thought were good. And you thought if you're still in that group and they yeah. put you in a room, you might be in for a yeah, chance. Okay. That's how I measured yeah, it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So even then, I didn't even recognize my own skill set. I didn't really kind of feel worthy of. Yeah. Even then, it was self-doubt. Imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome, all that stuff. Yeah. And yet I had to look at others to measure whether or not I would be going through to the next stage. And who was, who, just remind me, pop stars, was that a Simon Cowell thing? Was no. It, what was it? It was before Simon who, Cowell, who, darling. Who way before. So this was Nigel Lithgow, Nicky Chapman, oh, and yeah. Paul Adam from Polydor Records. Yeah. Uh, I really liked them. Yeah. You know, they were just absolutely fantastic. And they knew their stuff. You know, yeah, they're big yeah, in the right. game. Absolutely. I mean, Nicky was in uh, management for oh, a long massive. time. Yeah. Paul Adam was, was A&R. And Nigel Lithgow, you know, executive and producer. And he had the contract to offer. So that was the deal. And it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. Went for each stage, very exciting. You've got to remember you're 19 years yeah. old. So no one really knows how it's going to be. It's the very first of its kind. Yeah. First one was in Australia. Yeah. And um, when we got to the last 30, I mean, we bonded, you know, the quarterfinals, semifinals, and then the finals. So you got to really bond with a lot of people. So everyone in Liberty X and here, so we, I knew quite well. We, yeah. would, we would hang out together. We would dance together and um would be in the bar together yeah. um you know all that kind of stuff and what so, were they then were they they were they the winners were they so that, that was the end product yeah so the hearsay were the winners okay um and then uh liberty x were the other five that decided to form their own group and i think virgin signed them okay. uh, and then it was me ray warren uh, who we filmed the group together yeah. and a couple of others um and that was us we were the last bit were people clocking you around the streets it was a bit nuts i'm not gonna lie yeah. um so we did this and then six months later it, it aired so for six months it was really quiet and then when it aired I and mean, we had like 10 12 million viewers uh, it was right. just it was incredible yeah it was it was quite funny i mean like um i think uh they, everyone was talking about it at the time i remember a friend of mine rung me up and said graham norton's talking about you on his show i said what do you mean <laughs> and there's no record there's no playback there's yeah. no nothing right yeah. so I said, what do you mean? And he was, it was that time when he was uh, internet calling people across the yeah. globe in his old shows. And he was like, oh, and I was called Taz then. That was yeah. my nickname. Yeah. And he was like, oh, is Taz still in it? And uh, they were going, no, he's been kicked out. Oh, I liked him. And David Williams and and, and Matt Lucas had uh, had an interview and said that they would um, play, you know, be me if they could uh, for a character for something. Um, I also had um, uh, Simon Pegg. He played me in a comic relief um, sort of parody. And um, my mate Ray was played by Lenny Henry. It was Quality. it was that kind of stuff to yeah, watch when yeah. you're 19 years old was yeah. insane. Yeah. And um, you know, I, and after it got televised, the magazine Heat magazine and loads of other magazines got wind of it all, and they were doing their own polls who's going to get through. So there was a lot of excitement, and it meant that anywhere we went, we couldn't go anywhere without being recognised, which mm. was fun. And that, yeah. I'm not going to lie, it was yeah, that yeah. was that was incredible. Yeah. Went to Centre Parks. 
and uh, my family talk about family bringing you back to earth yeah there i am um and <laughs> the uh, security and management knocked on our on our lodge and said um we we're just wondering if you'd like security for the uh, weekend <laughs> and i was all about like yes me i, I kind of need that get yeah. me i need that right yeah. And my mum would go, oh, no, he don't need that. He don't need any of that. I was just like, oh, oh, all right, I don't, I don't, don't need that. No, no, th thank you. Thanks. All right. So I was so excited. It was taken away. So yeah. talk about family yeah, bringing yeah, back yeah, to yeah, earth. Yeah, right? good. Because my head had gone. I was yeah. excited. Uh, and of course, there was a lot of female attention when you went out in the nightclubs, which was great, which was fun, which was brilliant. I'd be lying. I was 19 years old. Of course, I loved it. I loved every minute of that. But unfortunately, as time went on, you still get that type of attention. You know what a nightclub life's like. Sometimes some of the, the guys don't like it. You know, they, there's that bit of jealousy or whatever yeah. that's going on. Or people might think you're arrogant. Were you I don't arrogant know. back I don't then? Know. Did it go to your head? I don't think it went to my head. I think I was very focused on what I wanted and was very excited and I enjoyed the attention. But I was always mindful of the position that I was in. Yeah. And it did feel a bit uncomfortable because I wasn't that guy. I was never that guy that was super chiseled from the gym and walk around and just feel like a God, yeah. right? I always felt a bit less than, yeah. you know, never, and sometimes better than, but never just part of. So I was kind of mindful and maybe I gave off sometimes that arrogant vibe. I guess you get swept up and get caught up in it. Yeah. Um, I guess when you're doing a lot of signatures and you're just walking down the street and yeah. the attention and crazy, but I kind of enjoyed that. It yeah. wasn't like, look at me, everyone. It was yeah. more like, yes, this is where I'm going. This is yeah. what I want to do. Yeah. As a person, I've definitely used arrogance as a way to mask the insecurity inside. Yeah. So brave it out. Yeah. So definitely relate to that. Um, so it was all really exciting. We did all that. And we even got a, our own show following us around me, Ray and Warren. We filmed a, uh, formed a group together and did MTV, Richard Blackwood. We, we went Disney Channel, flew over to Ireland. We did a lot of things. Yeah. And then we went to sign a deal at Warner Brothers. I just thought, wow, this is amazing. I think this is the guy that turned down Craig David years ago from Sony or Warner's or whatever. And so we were really pumped. We went there and the other guy in my group didn't turn up. We sat there like lemons. And, and the guy was like, look, listen, there's thousands of people that want this opportunity. What are you doing? You know, yeah. Where are you? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, he'll be here, he'll be here. Of course he didn't come, so we yeah. left. And uh, he left us a voicemail message. He got signed by Def Soul Records. Remember Def Soul? Yeah. yeah. He got signed by Def Soul Records, released his first single. Um, called My Girl and then got dropped. And that's it, that was the end of that. We we kind of stopped and um, it was depressing, a depressing time. And how, what age were you at this point? Um, I would say I was, tw I was 20. Okay. What did you do to release that pressure or that depression? What was your next step? Well, unfortunately, um, I always liked to drink and I always smoked weed. Um, so that just increased, basically. I was able to stop for auditions yeah. because the natural high and that buzz yeah. But suddenly there was a shift and I couldn't leave it alone. And um, I did go within myself because you've got to understand at that age, they give you no guidance. Mm. They don't give you any of that support. They don't really know what it's going to be like. Or maybe they do. I don't know. Mm. But all I remember is that now you're still known without the job. Yeah. That's really tough. Yeah. For a 19, 20 year old. Just to still, you're still a face, but you're not getting paid. Exactly. Mm. So you're doing normal life, going yeah. to work nine yeah. to five. And everyone think they know you, yeah. people judging you. And it was hard to be what version I needed to be yeah. um, because I didn't have the job. So I almost felt defeated, mm. felt really shit, actually. Mm. I bet. It, walking around, oh, you know, and then there would come the, the comments. Mm. I'll look at him and oh, he thinks you could hear it. And, yeah. I, and I could hear it a mile off and that would just really hit. Yeah. So then I have to 
be a different version, be polite to everyone and hello and try yeah. and keep up this image that yeah. so that people don't think I'm arrogant or think I'm getting away with myself or think I'm something that I'm not. And and that was really hard. And and actually the conversations, you know, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? What are you doing now? And I felt like I had to lie almost because I wasn't doing anything. Yeah. Oh, I'm in a studio. And I, that may be true, but yeah. I just felt like I needed the story to be big and that just got exhausting. Yeah. And I just, I couldn't cope with that. And um, and then it started to get more aggy out there. You know, I, I, I couldn't go out on my own. I had mm. to make sure I was with my mates when I went out. That's really sad, isn't it? That is sad, yeah. Um, just, what do you mean aggy? Were people like... Wanting to start a new or yeah, to, there was a bit yeah, of that. Okay. There was a bit of attitude, yeah. and um, you know, and I was, but I, but I was drinking and using more, so I was more paranoid. Yeah. Anyway, um, you know, and I think because I was using drugs and drinking, I used to go to fabric every Friday night. You oh, know, I love fabric. Come on, love fabric. Friday night, let's have it. Drum and bass, none of that two step shit. Come on, get right <laughs> in the middle of it. Um, you know, and 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 I, even then, yeah. like, I mean, I look stupid. Then. Yeah. <laughs> A big Averex jacket on. I don't own a motorbike, just to be clear. I don't own a motorbike, but I had an Averex jacket. Yeah. I had the flipping allergy condom hat on and a, and a Fubu cap on, baggy trousers, oh, top man. off like cool. I was like Peter Andre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know who I, I was lost, man. I was so lost. I didn't know what yeah. I was doing. I didn't yeah. know who I, I'll be whoever you So was there, did you find then you were just like, what What drugs were you tucking into back then to, to when it, you were speeding everything up? So, so now I'm taking ecstasy yeah. every Friday yeah. without fail. And I mean, it was quite weird because um, Groove Rider was there. Yeah. I was a massive Groove Rider fan. And he recognized me and so Goldie and he recognized me and was like, what? And he took me into his mates. And I think a lot of people were just a bit odd to see someone like on a clean cut program like that yeah. off his neck. And, um, you know, I remember being in like KFC and people were like, aren't you... Are you on drug? I was like, no, no, yeah. gurning and just all over the gaff. And I thought, like, this is coming on top. I need to get out of here. Like, it's just fear. Yeah, I'm already, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, I was I was sniffing. Um, I was popping pills. I was smoking. I was drinking. Um, and it was just, it become one party. And don't forget, they put me on a lot of party lists. So I went to yeah. a lot of clubs, went to a lot of things for a long time. Yeah. And it's quite scary how really available this stuff is, yeah. really, on offer. And yeah. I didn't even have the job. Yeah. So... You know, but there's plenty of people that work in that field and don't do that stuff. Yeah. Um, it's there if you look for it, and it's mm. there. Um, but it, I think it's rife. It, it, it is rife. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I know the stories. I'm, yeah. I guess I'm trying to be a little polite, but yeah. it is everywhere. Yeah, uh, and it makes sense. You know, it makes sense. So I got kind of got caught up in that. And if I'm honest, the drug taking took me to a whole new level. It changed my perception. I was really paranoid. Um, I didn't. I was losing my self confidence. That little voice in your head that says you're shit, you'll be nothing, you are nothing. Yeah. That got louder and louder and louder. Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. Like that tapping. You're trying to do life. And in the back of the mind, it's doing that. And then the only way to quiet that is to use and that's nice. Yeah. And that's what used to happen. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's getting louder again. And so now I need to use more and drink more to just quieten that head. That's what my head was like. Wow. For a long time. Wow. Then I got desperate. So I felt now that my goal was slowly slipping away. As you were getting older. As I was getting and older. And using more. And using more. Okay. And I had, couldn't work with people anymore. I wanted to get out yeah. of public. And I worked in the office. Mm. And God bless people that work in the office. It's not for me. It killed my spirit. Mm. Just for me. Mm. And it was hard. Because I was really judged. Everybody knew me then. I had to really kind of show them who I really am. Which is difficult to do when you don't know who the hell you are. 
and you're people pleasing. You want to yeah. be whoever you want me to be. Yeah. And I made loads of mistakes. You know, I tried to go out with the hottest girl there that I thought was hottest girl there, and just you know, and we, I, you know, I genuinely liked her, and she she liked me. But again, you know, it just yeah, it was just a really dark time, you know. Mm. And um, she didn't like certain drugs, so I stopped doing those drugs. But I I did other things, and um, and that got worse really. And then in pure desperation, I went back to do audition. I hadn't done a single audition. I just stopped it. And and I went and did Pop Stars Arrivals when Girls Aloud came out of it. Because they asked if I wanted to do Pop Idol when Darius did it. And uh, I said no. And then I watched what Darius did. And I thought, actually, he's done all right, you know. And he's he got himself a career. And he did. And I thought, maybe that maybe I should have said yes. Yeah. So I said yes. Yeah. So I, I basically went to Pop Star Arrivals. And uh, I turned up. And I wasn't prepared. Yeah, okay. Let me tell you, I was not prepared. Mm. The fear, the anxiety, the pressure, all that stuff I even used. I smoked a massive joint before I even went to an audition. <laughs> I've never done that. So now I'm taking it to another level. Yeah, of course, yeah. Forgetting the fact when you smoke a joint and try and sing, forget it. Yeah. You've got no control of your wobbles, like nothing. Because I yeah. like to do like wobbles and R&B licks and things. Yeah. You've got none of that. Yeah. None of that. Yeah. In fact, you sound like you're trying to do that and you can't do that. Yeah. And that's what happened. Mm. And I get there and Davina McCall was presenting it and the cameras were there and loads of people recognized me. So then there were straight there cameras. And so now we've raised the pressure. I couldn't just be a normal person slotting into an audition. Yeah. And um, and it was awful. You know, I'd even cried on TV, which is fine now, crying on TV. Yeah. Well, but then I'd even go to auditions and people go, yeah, welcome to the audition, but there'd be no crying today. And I'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, trying to laugh it off and inside crushing me, going, oh, okay, that's brilliant. Make me feel like a man. Yeah. And all that kind of stuff, yeah, which yeah. is, you know. Uh, and no one spoke about that back then. Nobody spoke about no, that, okay. right? I was emotional because yeah. it was an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. You hold all this pressure in. Yeah. You're a human being, not a machine. Forget male or female. Of course you're going to cry. It's yeah. you. You've lost a job, you're not gonna get. The pressure, it's come to an end. If you don't show any emotion, you're not human. Yeah. So they'd say things like that. And then I go to I went to this pop style arrivals and it, it, it didn't um it didn't go well. Mm. Let's just say it didn't go well. I, I went in. I've got to be careful what I say, but it, it 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 didn't go it didn't go well. Why why didn't it go well? Because I was high as a kite. I smoked the fattest, biggest joint I could. It was ridiculous. I was very high and I was pretty fucked yeah and i went in there and i couldn't sing pete waterman jerry halliwell was there and um uh louis walsh was there right yeah. all through him sitting there so that was a bit of pressure because you'd seen them on the tv so yeah. now you felt like oh yeah i can see it just felt a bit odd yeah and then there was like cameras lights you all around the side of you you sat and stood in the middle of the x and or the spot and just just sang and it was shit I'm not gonna lie, it yeah. was awful, yeah. absolutely awful. Did, what in your own mind or in their mind? In both, both, both okay. man. I've watched it back. It was horrendous, right? It just got a bit weird. Um, it, the, the feedback was just awful, and he said that you sound like someone that wants to try and sing like a soul singer that can't. Yeah, and he was a bit more hardcore than that. Yeah. Jerry, Jerry Halliwell said, "Oh, you, you remind me of Brian Harvey." So I said, "Well, oh, okay." And I got had an attitude. Yeah. They didn't put that on TV, but I had an attitude about it. Okay. Basically, what he'd said is he'd bought, one of them had bought relevance to race and said, you sound like you're trying to be a particular race. Yeah. And I said, what does that even mean? Yeah. When you when you sing, I said, you sing how you sing. Anastasia, yeah. when you listen to Anastasia sing, right? Years ago, remember Anastasia? Yeah. Yeah. What does she sound like? She sounds like somebody else completely. Mm. Mm. So, I, so I'm answering back. You don't answer back. Yeah. You just take it and move on, yeah. right? But I'm answering back. I'm getting... Lippy, yeah. because I'm I'm exposed because I know he's right. Yeah. That I'm thinking this isn't my good day, mate. Pete Warman just said, look, not not for us, kid. 
and uh, and I left. And I think I started saying that they were racist. I've played the race card, really? man. I came out. Started, I lost the plot. I wasn't right. And I, you know, of course, I'm not going to air that on TV. But yeah. this is what I was saying. Yeah. yeah, it was just really, really weird. And you know what the weirdest thing about it is? Mm. Davina McCall. She publicly says it. She's in recovery, right? She yeah. does say it publicly, yeah, yeah, so I'm not yeah. exposing that. Yeah. And I was with her. And I always think about that because I'm in recovery now and I know we're going to get to that. But I w just across paths of her and she was already in recovery and I got to speak to my mum because my mum loved her at the time. It was all exciting and on the phone and just that. And I think back, you know, if, if I'd have told her or if I'd have said, would I have said something to her really? And, you know, just, I don't know. I just, it was just a moment. And, and, but the shame, where the shame kicks in is after I left, I forgot the thing I televised that six months later. Yeah. Horrendous, mate. Yeah, I had to go back to work. And then after everyone they, saw. They played Saturday it, night. and they played it. Oh man! And it was awful. Horrendous. I had to, you know, the ego was bruised. The it, anxiety, the anxiety, the Jesus. pressure. It and it was crap. Yeah. And 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 Dame Bowers did a, a, a spin-off like ITV two thing, and they brought up guests, you know, and Liberty X were there, and they played my clip again. I was like, oh, stop playing this <laughs> clip, please. And they went, and I think he said, this is what he said. Do you think he should hang up his coat? Oh, mate, that crushed Killer. me. And uh, but luckily, Liberty X, they they had my back. And they mm. said, listen, we work with him. We know him. He just had a bad day. Everyone's allowed a bad yeah. day. Yeah. And actually, I was sitting there riddled with addiction. Mm. You know, I'd, I'd used before I'd gone to an audition. Yeah, so suddenly, mate, I've mate. crossed the boundary yeah. and crossed the line of what the acceptable is. The unacceptable has now become acceptable that I'm even going to use before. I'm not even going to bring my A game yeah. to an audition because of fear. And when you look at fear, it's false evidence appearing real. Yeah. Right? Well, fuck everything and run. run yeah. Instead of face everything and recover. Yeah. I was riddled with that fear. Mm. Uh, and and that's when when that happened and that got televised, you lost me. Right. I was, I'd gone. So then what? What was your next movements after this? Cocaine, my friend. Was it? It was too much. I just, I, I, I had no zest for anything. I just was exposed, depressed, crushed. You know, kind of identifying a little bit with some of these guys that were on Love Island, how they were feeling afterwards, the aftermath. Obviously, it's a lot more exposed now. And, but I can identify with some of the thought processes they might be going through. It's really hard. Tell me how much cocaine you were using. So I was sniffing an eighth, an eighth a day. Um, I could only do that about four times a week. Due oh, to? It's cost, it costs money. You yeah, know, I, was, I, I left the job then and I went to work in the nightclub industry. That's where it really took off. Okay. So cocaine and, and drinking yeah. really took off. Yeah. What um, age? What age were you here? So now I'm twenty, twenty-two, and that continued until I was about twenty-four, near twenty-five, and I couldn't get drunk anymore. Um, Why? Because the because the cocaine was bringing you back round sober again. Um, even when I wasn't sniffing, yeah. you know, I just was going into blackout. Yeah. And then I couldn't get into drunk, couldn't get drunk anymore. Explain I mean, blackout. So blackout is when you don't remember, you know. You're just functioning and don't even, or we don't remember what you did the night yeah. before. It was Sleep. that guy. Yeah. Now. Mm. Um, and then it won't even get me drunk. It was just that more, 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 more. That's what was going on in my head. Yeah. You know, if I stood with you sitting opposite you and we'd have, we'd have a drink. Yeah. No good. It's the first one for me that does the damage. As soon as I've had that first one, you're away. When you're talking to me, this is what I hear. Mm. And what I'm clocking there is he's going in the toilet, and yeah. uh, I wonder if she's got over there, and she yeah. looks nice over there. And oh, that queue's a bit long. Hurry up, hurry up! I need to go yeah. and get him a drink. The chat, wow, is that yeah. again yeah, yeah, coming yeah, back yeah, yeah. and back and back and back. Did you recognise this while you're doing it, or were you just in that whole in that whole phase of I'm just banging gear up my nose and getting pissed and going partying in clubs? Was that what it was for those four years? 
A bit of both, yeah. I think. A bit of both. I kind of knew that it wasn't where I wanted to be, but I was holding on to something and it gave me value and gave me worth. I felt like it gave me stuff. Um, working in the nightclub industry gave me that feeling like I was still connected to entertainment. Music, you know, yeah. Music, I yeah. love music. Yeah. Music came way before drugs. I love music. Yeah. I love all music. Yeah. I'm an eclectic. I love everything. I'll listen to classic FM driving in the car yeah. and then I'll put on some drum and bass, you yeah. know, no problem. I love music. Yeah. I absolutely love it. And I loved it in the nightclubs. And I worked in all of them. I was a brilliant barman. I love being a barman. I've got so many tips as a barman mm. because I would genuinely serve who needs to be next. So yeah. if anyone's listening as a barman, then you're a guy. Yeah. Serve who's rightfully next. next. Yeah, they clock it, don't and they? And the men clock it and they give you tips yeah. because they're like, thank God, because everyone tends to go with the pretty ladies yeah. that's there. And I'm like, no, mate, yeah. you're a person. Yeah. You weren't first. He was first. Yeah. You get him on the left. Yeah. You get him on the right. You've got your wingmen. So yeah. if anyone tries to intervene, you've got these guys got, protecting yeah. to go. No, yeah. no, no. I'm next, and then yeah. he's next, mate. Waving, waving twenty pound. Note. That's exactly <laughs> it, right? So when you when you finished the pop stars, the second one you went on, yeah, is that when you went into the nightclub world? Yeah. And how long were you in the club world for? So just before that, I actually went and did a presenters course with the London Academy. Yeah. To that was 2009. Yeah. And then I went to go and um, get a green screen. The people that did it, they really liked me there and said, "Listen, you'd be great." You know, I was really good on the street, that kind of off-the-cuff yeah. stuff. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Don't put me in a museum doing a, yeah. a review on the greatest art who yeah. yeah. love to. We have this lovely lady who's holding her face. Yeah. Like, I can't do that. Yeah. I need to be with the people on the yeah. street. And, you know, so I really enjoyed it. And I thought, okay, maybe we're on to something. And, um, but they had, and the, the, the company that I had went into receivership, so I couldn't get the representation. But again, I haven't learned. I'm still me. I've still got that mouth, still got a bit of an ego because I'm frightened inside and I'm yeah. still trying to project. Yeah. I'm still really nervous and anxious. I managed to stop using for a week just to get through that course. You know, even that language, just to get through yeah. that course, yeah, right? Crazy, yeah. In this field, you don't slate anybody in the game. Small world. Small world. Very. So I ruined an opportunity yeah. because I got asked a question for a very good presenting agency. I said, why do you want to do it? I said, well, if this particular celebrity can do it. Anyone can do it. And they oh, went, well, okay. actually, I think that's really cruel. She's a friend of mine and we don't think we want to do business with you. Phone goes down. Oh, oh. I was like, oh, no, that's oh. not what I meant. I was yeah, nervous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. I've melted. <laughs> so uh, I completely ruined it. Yeah. So me being me, I'm, that's disheartened. I'm, I'm out. Yeah. I, I'm, I can't pick it up again. Full of fear, anxiety. Just, okay, this isn't for me. Nightclub, nightclub, nightclub. How many years you in the club world for? I was in there for maybe five years. Okay. Um, I actually sobered up in the nightclub world because let me tell you I was really ill mm. I was eight stone I wore these suits that had shoulder pads in them I looked like a triangle mm. basically I was so thin yeah. I just looked like a triangle and the my waist was so thin that I had to have extra holes put in the belt mm. to put them really mm. tight so tight in fact that the zip used to fold over mm. um, I had holes in my shoes because I wouldn't pay for shoes you know and people pointed it out I was is like, that because you wanted to spend the money on gear exactly wow I was exactly and uh, and you got down to eight stone because you were doing the gear, and not exactly, you. exactly. Wow. And I felt like I was getting something from, I was getting the hit from the people because suddenly I was important. Mm. You know, you're promotion manager now. You're running the door. Become a face, don't you? Become a face. Yeah. People want to know you, yeah. and that's all through. You see, some people would say that's for a of ego, but actually, this was all due to low self worth and low self esteem. It was the opposite. Yeah. So inside, I was dying, and I needed that validation. I needed you to want me and to accept me, yeah. for me to feel good with me. If you're okay, I'm okay. Yeah. If you're not okay, I'm not okay. Yeah. So there's that codependency yeah, okay. as well, right? So okay. it was really unwell. Then it would get to the next point when I'd be using and then the fear would keep, kick in, the paranoia instantly. 
I need to get out of this club. So I used to lie to the to the boss. Oh, something's gone on. I need to go. Or oh, I've met a girl. Can we go? Yeah. And he was pretty cool then about that sort of stuff. And actually, it was just paranoia. Yeah. I'll fast forward to the darkest times. So the darkest times of using was suicidal thoughts. I didn't want to live anymore. That's where it took me. How old were you? I was 23 and 24. Yeah. That's, um, I haven't talked about this in a long time, you know. Um, it's a really fucked up place to be. You're too frightened to take your own life, but you don't want to live anymore. I was so paranoid. I used to walk in the road, in the middle of the road at nighttime. So I used to think people following me are going to jump out. I was just terrified. I was frightened. The fear I cannot describe. The fright of my own shadow. I was frightened of everything. I was hearing voices. Um, I even took drugs into my family house. I crossed the line again. Mm. I mean, that is just shameful. Mm. What I grew up in was not, that's not how I was brought up. Mm. But suddenly I was doing that now. I was using in my own house. Parents in the next room. Yeah. The shame. The guilt. I was so paranoid. I thought someone's coming to get me. Or the police were coming. Something was going on. And I just... And, I know it today was psychosis, right? But I left and just went out. And I don't know where I was going. And, but for the grace of God, man, somebody that I know, he saw me and said, you all right? I was like, uh, he, he tells me that I said to him that they're out to get me. And he said, who? He said, you look so white as a sheep. Mm. And for this, for this Turkish Cypriot to look that white, mm. that's not good, mm. right? So I jumped into the car apparently. And he took me to the safe house, to the house where it was safe. And I slept on, slept it out on the sofa. I do not know what would happened if he had uh, mm. not pulled over. I don't know what happened. My parents knew. Mm. They went and saw someone. I ticked all the boxes. And they basically gave me a little mini intervention in the kitchen. I was so exhausted, Dodge. Yeah, I bet. Living a double life. Yeah. That I was kind of grateful that they called me out of my bullshit. Yeah. I mean, it nearly broke my family. Mm. And, um, and they said, basically, shape up or ship out. Tell me about your suicidal thoughts. I don't want to brush over that. No, no, no. I know you is, don't. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry for rushing through no, that. No, 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 uh, you not. did say anybody that might be listening might resonate with that. It's really, really important. It's important that the listeners can resonate if there is anyone out there. That's true. I used to want to be somewhere else. I always wanted to be somewhere else. I was that guy. I was looking out the window, thinking, wishing I was somewhere else in my world. I talked to aliens, saying, "If you're really out there, come and get me now. Take me. I'd like to go. I need. I need out." Mm. And really, when you look at suicide, and someone says that. I want to end it. Ask them two questions. Now I've learned that now and what I do now. You ask them two questions. Is it thoughts of actually want to be dead or is it thoughts of I want time out? Two very different things. Yeah. But our words, what you might say in a certain sentence is means something different to what I say. Yeah. And really I wanted time out. Because I didn't want to I didn't want to die. I was too frightened to kill myself. I didn't I didn't I didn't. I just wanted it to end. I wanted these consequences to stop. I just wanted to change the way that I felt. I just felt numb. Using wasn't working anymore. I had to keep using more and more and more and I couldn't afford to do it. And then every time I'd use, I'd feel depression and oh, I've done it again. And it just was never like, you know, champagne lifestyle. Oh, tennis here, great yeah. everyone. It wasn't like that. Yeah. It was dark. Mm. And I thought about ideas, what I could do, but everything I come up with felt like it would be painful. And something was putting me off doing that. I thought, well, no, I might only break my legs there and then I might survive it. But then I did think about my family. What would they think? What would they be left with? And I just thought, no, this is not the answer. I felt like a shell. I used to look in the mirror very rarely and I hated what I saw. I was so self-absorbed, self-obsessed um, and just really sick. And I manipulated my family. Oh, I need to get in there early. Uh, I need to prep. And so I'd make them give me a lift. 
they give me a lift and actually really what that was about is I need to go and meet my dealer. I need to go and use and have a little pick me up before I go into work because the cons, the, the, the thought of going into work frightened the hell out of me. Yeah. And so I'd go to the nightclub, I'd go to the bar next door, meet my dealer. I'd have a triple amaretto and ice, go and have a couple of lines, come back down, have another triple amaretto and ice, walk straight into the nightclub and get myself uh, white rum because I didn't want to smell. So I'd have like um, Malibu and pineapple juice because you couldn't smell it as much. <laughs> And I'd have a triple of that, a little yeah. bit of pineapple for flavour. Yeah. Two of those, a couple more lines. So now I'm fucked before yeah. I've even started the night. Yeah. I'm already yeah. paranoid and like wondering what's going on. It was just horrendous, <laughs> right? It was just like, it's just, it just constantly hot, yeah. Yeah. pumping and panicking. Where was the point where you gone, this has all got to stop? I knew I had a problem with drugs at 19. I knew I had a problem. I knew that I couldn't control it. Were you using it. drugs at a lot earlier age than 19? Did you start, what age did you start using drugs? I started smoking at 12. Smoking weed at 12? No, I started smoking cigarettes, cigarettes at 12. Okay, yeah. I always go right back yeah. to when was the first day I put poison in my body. Yeah. And that was at 12 years old, yeah. right until I was 24. Yeah. I, I was a bit late. You know, I didn't really find weed until I was about 16. Yeah. And then I saw Scarface and I thought, this, sounds, this looks amazing. I was just, I was such a fantasist. Yeah. Right? I thought, that's me, man. Just give me, just give me that cigar, sit there, yeah. you know, I thought this is me. <laughs> this is what I'm going to be like. It's just such a fantasy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my first acting out was fantasy before mm. I picked up a drug. I was always somewhere else. I still, I, I knew I needed to stop five years before I stopped. And that's the insanity. Yeah. That's the insanity. You put your hand in that fire, you're going to get burnt, mm. right? The insanity is saying, well, if I do it this time, in the left angle, it might be a little bit different. I, I, it's still hot. Yeah. Right? That's what I was doing. Yeah. And, I wanted someone to pull me out. I didn't know how to pull me out. And I didn't know how to ask for help. I felt shame. I couldn't go and say to my dad, I've been using those drugs, dad. I've been letting the side down. I'm, you know, all, all that pressure, letting the side down. Wow. You know, and he's not that type of man. Mm. He's a proud, loving man. Mm. But I could have come to him. Mm. I know I could have. Could have come to my mum and said, look, but the shame and the guilt and the remorse, all of that wouldn't allow it. The ego wouldn't allow it. And maybe you didn't want to. There was a bit of that. Yeah. I just wanted the consequences to stop. I didn't want to stop using. Yeah. I was getting to that point where cocaine wasn't working for me. If I carried on going, I would have been washing up crack. Yeah. And then what comes with crack is I need to come down, so then comes the heroin. Yeah. So my parents put me in touch with somebody who met me, mm. talked me through his story. And I really liked what he had to, to say. And uh, he took me to a support group. And that's basically where I've been. Wow. I've, I, I, I've been clean and sober for 15 years. Wow. Day at a time. Mate. And it's given me more than you could ever imagine, Dodge. So what have you done for the last 15 years? Healed, man. Yeah. I've healed. Yeah. I've got that light back. Yeah. I'm able to look you in the eye today and not feel like a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm able to stop judging everybody or being envious of everybody, what they've got. Yeah. And more happy with what I have. I have, I have the, in, it's the inside stuff that yeah. needed to change, not the exterior. Yeah. I've seen rich people that we would say, well, they should be really happy. Mm. And they feel like a piece of shit yeah. inside. It's the inside that needs yeah. to change. Yeah. But it's enabled me to go and grab a life. Mm. And what that needed to do is to educate me, to say, listen, you're all right. You are who you are. It's okay to be you. It's okay not to be okay, but don't stay. Men, it's okay to talk about your feelings. Men, it's okay to cry. Men, it's okay to say, do you know what? I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. Yeah. I need some help. Yeah. And too many of us have that pressure put on us, whether it's taught by our families and loved ones and 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 authoritative figures yeah. or society I'd like to think that's starting to change the more we talk about this stuff mm. like what we're doing now we're connecting we're bonding and we're sharing and it's honest this is what needed to come
And then once you got those fundamental basis to, to, to understand that I was powerless and I'm not in control of drugs and drugs are in control of me, my life is unmanageable, that it can get better and I need to trust this process and work through my stuff, it's enabled me to unlock what I could do. I used to spend my life taking and then it was about giving. And going traveling around was just amazing. Going to all the schools, talking to all the youth, talking about drug and alcohol, making sessions my own. And it was incredible. I had oh, the home wow. office asking me, what yeah. would I suggest for the next tour? Yeah, brilliant. It was just because I got really bored. So you were giving back now. Now I was giving Amazing, back. Yeah. I was really bored of just giving out leaflets. Mm. Let's talk to these guys. Let's engage with them. I wish I had someone to engage with me at that time, right? So then we made it their own, got the teachers out and just engaged in this stuff. And I just took that upon myself. And the tour manager was really cool. She said, look, do what you got to do, man. I was like, all right. And that's how I stayed with them for three years. And then I'd meet loads of youth workers. And so I asked them, you know, how do you do what you do? And they gave me some suggestions. So when I came back to Essex, I went and uh, worked, uh, I applied for a job, worried I didn't have any qualifications for the job, except for my experience. And uh, and I became a project worker in uh, a drug and alcohol charity in Essex. Good for uh, you. In Basildon. Tanner, good for you, mate. I'm loving this. And it was an incredible experience. Um, a frightening, daunting experience because mm. now I'm working with lots of different people. Is there a is there a sort of um, stepping stone to addiction? Does it start from alcohol? Does it start from weed? Does it start from alcohol? Does it link to cocaine and ecstasy? Does it, what about sex addiction? What about gambling addiction? You you asked the right question at the right time, Dodge. You should do this for a living. <laughs> you should. You should have your own show. You, those questions you're asking is what I wanted to know and learn when I started. I was running a needle exchange, working with steroid users. They'd walk in and go, I oh, don't use drugs, but can I have, uh, and I go, oh, sure, but you want to access our needle exchange, yeah. do come with me. <laughs> you know, and it was things like that. And I was like, oh, okay, wow. I thought it was just going to be heroin addicts, but actually, so I started to learn a lot about what's really out there, the increase in alcohol, the cannabis, the cocaine, the crowds, the different dynamics to the certain people that drugs would bring, the trauma, and why many people were using heroin because of the trauma no one wakes up in the morning and says let's use heroin today guys mm. there's a there's a story to it we've all got a story mm. but usually some real in-depth trauma yeah because heroin yeah. does exactly says what it says on the tin yeah. aim to forget it will numb anything right oh. so it's powerful and destructive and moorish and and i worked in the criminality element i worked in prison i worked in the courts crown court and criminal justice because i wanted to see every little yeah. area yeah, yeah, yeah and then i went into management and it's important to say there are many people in recovery that have worked in that field. It's not imperative. You, you need to you need a blend. Don't yeah. get it twisted. You don't need everyone in recovery. You need a blend. Yeah. You need a mixture of people. But because I'd found that zest for life, I had made it about me still. Well, I'm clean, mate, and you know you can get it and did it. And maybe that worked for some people, but it was that one guy I remember. He went, "Well, good for fucking you." Just looked me dead in the eye. Yeah. As you say, like, what are you telling me that shit for? Yeah. What about me? I can't get it. I feel less than. You don't have my life. Wow. Yeah. Okay, here yeah. we go. So yeah. I had to learn yeah. that what am I telling my story for? What's the purpose? Is it going to help this person or am I still making it about me? Mm. And for a couple of years, many people in recovery, they do go through that journey because it's that excitement and zest for life and they want to rescue everyone and yeah. get all their mates into recovery and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I did all that. So I had to really learn. Um, and then worked for Westminster Drug Project, and went and worked in Chelmsford Prison on the detox wing, and that was that was in, that was a journey. I bet. But it was a, a revolving door. I've never been in a prison before. I'd never been into a prison before. Did yeah. you see a lot of drugs 
in the prisons. No. Just so you let you know about prisons, if you've never worked in prison, once you've been and worked in prison, you sign a contract. To say... They are a, a community within a community. Do I th believe there is a problem within drugs, with drugs in the prisons? Yes, I believe there is. Do you th wonder why I, I think there's a problem and why it's never been solved? I would imagine that if there are funders that are funding this, this would alert those funders that there's a problem with drugs, which mm. there may or may not be. Mm. And that will be very difficult. Mm. Make of that what you will. Mm. That's mental, isn't it? Mm. My mind, detox wing, bring the dogs in twice a day. I have people in there saying, please, please, I really want to get clean. Get me off this wing. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't? They, they, they couldn't. They were on the detox when they had to stay on that wing. But the flip side, there'd be people that would use drugs before they got into prison because they knew that if they had opiates in their system, they'd yeah. put them on the detox wing, they'd have an easier ride. Oh, okay. So there's many different ways. People were making hooch in prison. People yeah. were, you know, this was before people were smoking spice then. I left and then spice came in. But what is spice? So this is like a legal high, isn't yeah. it? But this was this was causing a lot more of mental health issues yeah. and really dangerous stuff. And what do you do? You smoke it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not really okay with no, it. Okay. I, I, yeah, but yes, you do smoke it yeah. like a joint, I guess. But um, a lot of people were having psychotic episodes, with severe paranoia. Um, this is when the the legal high started to come in as yeah. cheaper substitutes to like cocaine and yeah. other stuff and ease and all kind of things. And that yeah. wasn't really my bag. Yeah. I never really touched it. Never really came across it. The only thing I can say about working in, it was a remand prison, but mm. it was just a revolving door. Mm. And that's where they need to change the law on something like that. Sending someone to three weeks in prison isn't going to do nothing. What's he going to do? Yeah. He comes in, you identify he needs, some, he needs some support. He's on a waiting list. He's not going to get seen within three weeks. Yeah. Suddenly he's back out again. Doing he's got nowhere to thing. live. Yeah. It was just, it, what's the point? Yeah. What is the point in that? Did you ever have a sex addiction? Well, yeah, it came with it. Uh, I Listen, addiction was my issue. It didn't matter whether I slept with, snorted, smoked. And actually, when I put the drink and the drugs down, that's when my addiction started to shift again. And I was kind of using women like they were drugs. You know, it was crazy. N using a person in that way. Yeah. And that was really painful. And it was suggested to me to come out of relationships for a while and work on myself, whatever that meant. But it would be, a lot of time it would be, she'll fix me. She looks good on my arm. This would be great. Yeah. Um, you know, this seems like a good idea. I really want to be with her. I can imagine having kids with her. Oh, this is not a good idea. This is not her. Well, no. Yeah. How do I get out of this? Uh, this is awkward. Yeah. Did you pay for sex? I did. Shall I tell you why? When I realized that pulling every, um, even though the intentions for a relationship were there, yeah. and it was messing with other people and it wasn't great, that seemed like the right thing to do, mm. which is just really twisted, right? Mm. So I was like, well, I kind of want my needs met, but then maybe I won't be putting other people into it if it's someone that wants to do that for a living. That in itself, I don't think everyone does want to do that for a living. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But, you know, that's kind of where my justification went. But what I felt I couldn't do is I felt I couldn't um, go with ladies that were selling themselves on the street to fund their drug habit yeah. because I was in recovery at that time and it felt wrong. It felt really odd. So you were in you were in I was in sobriety. You were in sobriety. Yeah, yeah. But you still had your sex addiction. Yeah, this is before I um stopped doing relationships completely to heal oneself. So when it was suggested that I stop bringing other people into it and going out with women and then realizing I don't want to be in a relationship, yeah. I thought, well, I still want to have sex, so actually maybe if I if I pay pay for it that would be okay then I'm getting my needs met and it's not yeah. hurting anyone. Yeah. But then I drew the line that maybe I won't go with somebody that's 
doing it to fund the drug habit. And so I started going with high-class escorts, mm. which the ego enjoyed because, you know, it would cost money and that become a big thing. And I was seeking out high-class escorts, basically. What sort of price were they? Did um, they range from? 250 was the cheapest. Up to? Up to 500, 600. Um, and what's that, for an hour, for a night? How hour. Hour, wow. So you're replacing your cocaine addiction, your alcoholism for with this, using your money for sex? Yeah. Okay. And uh, I was crying a lot when that happened because I, I knew I was going down a deep, dark hole. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon the pun, but yeah. it was getting dark, my friend. It was uh, awful. Yeah, I bet. I, like literally on my knees crying. And were you doing that once a week? I can't even quite, I can't even you tell can't, you. you don't know. I, it was it was um it was while I was on the road. It was when I was uh, working away a lot for three years. I was going from different city to city, and it became exciting. Yeah, hotel rooms. Yeah, you know loneliness. I couldn't sit with self. Felt really uncomfortable, and that felt the right thing to do. And I'd find them out, and I'd go to parlors, and it was just it was an incredible experience at first. You know, because obviously I was too, I, I didn't even have sex in the end of my addiction. I was too paranoid. I was too frightened to get close to anyone. This came out afterwards. Mm. So I really realized that the addiction was really rife inside me. It was mm. coming out in another way. Mm. And also kind of seeking that love that I'd lost like, from childhood yeah. and some of the rejection stuff and some of the bits. So I learned that now. I know that now. Mm. Is that, and this is what we do as adults, right? We see, the love that we crave or we missed from childhood, we seek out in adult relationships. Yeah. And because we're adults, it comes out in the form of sex. Yeah. How many people will be in relationships they want to be in? but thought it was the right thing. And actually you look back at it, it will be around the relationship and the attachment and stuff from childhood. Yeah. And this is what it was about me. That's what it was about. Mm. And, um, but the justification was, well, they're high class escorts and therefore it's not wrong because yeah. they're choosing, they're not, they're willing and they're, they're not caught up in addiction and they look really well and they're presented in a certain way. way. Um, but that become addictive in itself, the payoff. Yeah. There was the power, there was the, um, you know, I was uncomfortable as hell. I mean, how do you have this conversation? I yeah. mean, and then because I had recovery, I knew certain talks and then I would have conversations. Well, how long have you been doing this? And yeah. it's just really awkward and yeah. weird. And <laughs> why are you doing it? What are you doing? Yeah. I think one day I just paid her just to talk to her. And yeah. I don't know. It was just, I, I was lost, mate. Mm. I was bloody lost. So even in recovery, just completely lost. Mm. And that's why that took over. And that's when it was suggested to go into complete abstinence. And so that's why for two years I abstained from sex any sexual contact, any relationship, and just worked on self to heal. And what a beautiful thing that was. Yeah, I bet. You know, I really learned about my childhood traumas and other stuff and worked through a lot of gear. That was a question I was about to come you on to. You were going to come on to yeah. that, weren't you? Was your childhood traumas, did you know as you were going through your 20s that there was a trauma back there that you didn't want to deal with? Or is it only when you actually came clean, you're like, shit, I've got to go back to the past and deal with some stuff here? I wore it like a badge of honor, mm. actually, because I was sexually abused as a child by my babysitter, and she was a female. And most of the stories I heard were men being abused by men. Yeah. So that's definitely why I was sexually active at an early age. And I remember it really clearly. I remember it being naughty, but exciting. How old were you? Eight. That's weird. Now that's I carried weird, that. Yeah. I can vocalize that today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't go and speak to the random woman at the bus stop and say, yeah. by the way, I was touched one of the day yeah. and tell her the story. It's yeah. not that kind of talking about it all the time, but I can connect with that. Mm. 
because I remember it was wrong, it was naughty, it was a secret, but I kind of enjoyed it. There was a payoff, right? When you look at that childhood trauma, it's, it, the body and mind must connect and it gets distorted in children when you, when it happens at that eight. early age. He's young. Very young. Maybe want to play mummies and daddies a lot when I was younger and, and you know, that kind of stuff. So I was sexually active from How 12. How old was she? She must have been maybe 14, 15, maybe even 16. Wow. I don't know how old you had to be to maybe she was 16 i don't yeah, know yeah and you kept that secret the whole time yeah yeah and that's what i dealt with i had just and that was part of that two-year gap out yeah it was to it was to really recognize that that happened you know and that explained a lot of the journey for my pr promiscuous life mm. and how it wasn't acceptable and that it was an ego and then there was a lot of fill that void and it was a lot of that numbers game and that, you know i was never horrible to anyone in that way mm. ever mm. But it was more about me, that self-gratification, yeah. you know, and then the relationship isn't what I want. And I hurt a few people in that way emotionally, you know, by giving the in impression that I was interested and then we'd have the sex and then I was not interested. Yeah. And actually, I was just, it wasn't because I was cold-hearted and it was horrible. It was because I genuinely thought that's what I wanted. Yeah. And then I realized that's not what I wanted. But they're a person. And that was really tough. So staying out of that and to work on self was really a really good thing. So... Yeah. So going back slightly, that's why going through and working through that stuff and working in the services I worked in, I then wanted to step up and work in private treatment. Yeah. So I went over to the private sector after being in London and Westminster and the Homelessness yeah. for Turning Point, which is a fabulous organization. Yeah. Um, and then um, went over to uh, private rehab. And that was an amazing experience to be a registered manager there for addiction, 12-step treatment center for addiction. Powerful stuff. Powerful. Too, isn't it? Powerful. It was it was amazing. Yeah, Let me tell you, the team yeah. were phenomenal. The, yeah. the organization was phenomenal. And now I'm meeting lots of different people. Yeah. I'm also being met with entitlement. Yeah. People with money that feel they're entitled yeah. because it's their low self-esteem, low self-worth, their fright and their ego, that kind of stuff. So I was working with all different elements of addiction. And that's when I, to go back to your original question, I started to understand the different, the, the umbrella of addiction. Yeah. So we would see, you know, the city boys and girls working up suddenly there was porn addiction and prostitution and, and voyeurism and all these kind of other stuff and there were money brokers and you know and cocaine came with the territory and there was lots of sex addiction attached to it and sexual trauma and you know or porn addiction because of trauma or attachment never talked about sex as, as, as a young person you know or i've been shamed in some way but porn will never let you down and now we're hiding the fantasy it's easier because i'm feeling inadequate to actually put myself out there loads of that wow loads of that and i know that because i went and studied that you know so after all that i went back to night school i trained as a therapist so i'm an integrative counselor and psychotherapist for over 10 years um i qualified as a sex therapist last year um and i'm the head of access and assessment team for the nhs uh, in mental health in suffolk for nsft and so to get to that point i had to realize that i had to do a lot of work on self and then I unlocked what I wanted to do. Mm. And after doing all from that Frank tour, yeah. they gave me some advice. I started, I built and built and continued to train and learn and want more, wanted to know more yeah. and just went through it all. And uh, and I'm ever so grateful for that because yeah. now my life is, is completely different. Yeah. You know, don't get me wrong, I still sing. I've made music, I've done albums in recovery, I've toured, I've done so much stuff, yeah. but all for the right reason. And I've enjoyed it, yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and I still sing now. But I'm not pursuing that career in that because that's not where I want to be, yeah. and that's fine. Um, so, you know, if, I'm, if it sounds like you just found your 
perfect purpose in life? I don't know if it's my perfect perfect. I mean, perfectly perfect, I guess. But um, I I I know what I'm not. Yeah. I know what I'm not, and that's mm. the main thing. I've got mm. gratitude in my heart. I'm grateful every day that I wake up in the morning. I say, start your day on purpose, and I, whatever that is. Yeah. I'm married today. Yeah. You know, I'll be nine years married um, this 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 year. I've got a six year old daughter, Alicia, my absolute pride and joy. Right. I don't want to die anymore. I look in the mirror, I like what I see. Yeah. I don't hate what I see. I don't speak to myself in that way anymore, mm. in that negative way anymore. Mm. I cut people out that aren't good for me. Yeah. They're good to you or good for you. If you can't answer yes, got to go. Yeah. And that's how I live my life. Yeah. You know, I want people to, you know, dance in my light, not shine on my dark, Yeah. quite simply. And that means I need to do the same. And I wear my life like a loose garment, not a wetsuit. Mm. That's it. These are the things I have to do. It doesn't mean I'm free from life in life's terms mm. doesn't mean I don't get into problems or mm. issues or self-doubt mm. or resentment you know I do I'm a human being I get into these things but it doesn't cripple me in the way that it used to mm. I don't feel like a piece of shit I feel good 99.9% of the time and people ask me why and the reason is when you've been through that place where you don't want to live anymore there's only one way out when you get on the other side Yeah, I know what that's like I've mm. tasted the shit mm. I don't need to be back in there mm. that prison in my own mind I don't need to be there anymore. I'm not there anymore. Mm. But I can have that back if I stop doing the stuff. You know, this is constant maintenance. Yeah? Like if you're going to the gym, you're not going to go to the gym once and suddenly get the results. You've yeah. got to keep maintaining it. it. Yeah. But then that's all good. But that'll all go down unless yeah. you continue and maintain it and then actually realize it's good for your yeah. mental health, it's good for your health, it's good for this, and it becomes part of your life. Yeah. And that's my program. It's part of my life that keeps me right-sized, enables me to then be of service to others, recognize the self-care in myself and the worthiness that I have in myself mm. and I give that out freely mm. and then you know that's why I'm able to be a happily married man a father a son you know I don't bring shame on my family today they love me mm. they've always loved me mm. but they're proud of me today they don't worry about me in fact that's what they say to me that gets me every time because mm. they don't worry about me anymore Tanner this has been an absolutely amazing episode I really thank you for your honesty right, coming mate. down here I'm going to be friends for you for the rest of my life. I know that for sure. <laughs> and, um, mate, I, it's an absolute pleasure. Are you good to me and good for me, though? You'll have to find out yourself. We shall tune in. We'll, we'll tune find in out. on the next episode. <laughs> I like it. You're a good man. Bye, mate.